Welcome to Verse by Verse with Clinton DeFrance. What is the key to understanding the Old Testament? Find out in today's study of Acts chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities, until he came to Caesarea. In our last study, we concluded the account of the kingdom of God expanding beyond Judea, and in fact beyond the Jews, into the regions of Samaria. After this fulfillment of the prophetic command of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the next installment in the plan was for the gospel and the reign of King Jesus to extend to all nations, Luke 24, 48, or as Jesus said in Acts 1, to the end of the earth. We'll have more to say on this in a short while. But to this point, Philip was called away by an angel to a strange location for an evangelist to try to fulfill his charge a deserted place along the highway that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. But lo, in the providence of God, as soon as he arrived, Philip saw an entourage moving down the road and accompanying a remarkable man. Luke says first that he was a man of Ethiopia. In our last study, we noted that the Ethiopians were a mysterious people from the far south of Palestine, even to the south of Egypt. But he was also identified as a eunuch, that is, an emasculated person, but a man of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. 
We noted last time the implications this position had on the man's character. He was not only a nobleman, but a noble man, known for integrity and trustworthiness. And then perhaps the most remarkable announcement, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. There are several possibilities for how he came to know of the one true God, but whichever is accurate, this man was a worshiper of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not a full convert to Judaism, as that privilege was denied to eunuchs, but he was what they called a God-fearer. The extent of his devotion was seen in his grueling journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and back to worship. It is a stinging indictment to all who claim to fear God and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but will not make sacrifices to worship Him in the appointed place, which is for Christians, the assembly of the church. But even with all this power and prestige and culture and influence and integrity and religious devotion, this man was lost and alienated from the God he feared. He needed the gospel. And God, who is rich in mercy, moved heaven and earth to get the gospel to him. Verse 28 says that Philip met him as he was returning from Jerusalem. The passage continues, And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Here we find yet another remarkable character trait to commend in this man. He was studious. He was reading from the word of God. There have been many people throughout time who would say they were searching for God, but they searched in the stars, in nature, in the graveyard, in experience, in themselves. This man, however, is searching in the right place. He has been to Jerusalem, where God appointed his temple and put his name in the former dispensation. But God was not in the Jerusalem temple, not in a way that was accessible to this man. That was just a symbol for the present time. Now, he is searching the scripture. There's a fascinating passage in John chapter 5 and verse 39, in which Jesus speaks of the witness that the Jewish scriptures bore to him. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. It is possible to take the first clause as a command, search the scriptures, as in the King James Version. But regardless of how it's translated, The point is that Jesus says if the scriptures are used correctly, they will lead a person to Jesus himself. And the scriptures he spoke of on this occasion included the book of Isaiah the prophet. In fact, Isaiah has often been called the Messianic prophet or the gospel of the Old Testament because his writings and oracles were so richly packed with forecasts of Christ and his kingdom. Somehow, the eunuch had obtained this scroll of Isaiah. It's possible that he owned it for a long time. We mentioned in a previous study that there were Jews in Ethiopia, and that may have been the place where he learned about the God of heaven and earth and received this portion of God's word. It's also possible that he obtained this scroll in Jerusalem during his recent trip. He may have purchased it. Perhaps he was building up a collection of the sacred writings, uh, buying the Bible in installments, we might say, each time he made this journey. Or perhaps it was gifted to him. The great biographer of biblical characters, Dr. Alexander White, noted that a man of this social and political caliber was likely an honorary guest in Jerusalem and would have at least enjoyed an audience with 
both Pontius Pilate and the high priest, so perhaps he visited with some of the wealthy and the influential Jewish leaders in the area, and he received this scroll. But however he obtained it, he was doing the right thing with it. He was reading it. Each of us is blessed with different opportunities and advantages in life, but it is not the blessings themselves or how we come to possess them that makes the difference. It is what we do with them once we have them. I think about a time when I was visiting and working in the United Arab Emirates, and a faithful Christian there commented on how much he wished that they had the freedoms we enjoy in America. But I thought in that occasion, we don't do much with them. I go to this country where Bible study is restricted and Christianity is oppressed and have dozens of Bible studies in a short period of a few days. But in the United States, where we have freedom, privilege, and opportunity, it's often difficult to convince even a person who claims to be a Christian to study the Bible. What are you doing with the blessings God has brought into your life? Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. As Jadabin McGarvey reckoned the geographical setting of this meeting, Philip came onto the scene from the rear of the eunuch's entourage, and he had to quickly pursue them to catch up with the chariot or the wagon in which the eunuch was riding. But a true servant of the Lord will pursue opportunities to serve him, even if he must run to catch them. Formally, it was an angel who dispatched Philip. This time, it is the Spirit. Some readers take these as simply two titles for the same divine person, but I don't see a reason to read it that way. Sometimes God worked through angels, and sometimes he worked more directly. We remember that Philip was gifted by the Holy Spirit with the power to perform various miracles. We saw that back in Samaria. And it seems that attended to this gift, he also received revelations and directions in his ministry. McGarvey rightly observes that we have in this record a very significant point regarding the conversion of the lost, namely, that when God was at work through angels and messages given directly by the Holy Spirit, none of these came to the lost man himself. They were all directed to the preacher, and it was the preacher's responsibility to, in turn, share the gospel with the lost man. This is a vital part of the pattern of conversion. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way in Romans 10, verses 13 through 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Yet this does raise the question as to whether or not preachers in the modern world should ordinarily or ever at all expect angelic or divine directions in their ministries, and if not, why did Philip receive them? To answer this, we should first remember that Philip was not sent to Samaria by the direction of an angel or the Holy Spirit, at least the Bible doesn't mention that. The reason Philip went to Samaria is expressly stated in Acts chapter 8, verses 3-5. through 5. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
and preached Christ to them. It was the providence of God through the circumstances of life that carried Philip on his way on that occasion. And that seems to be the ordinary means by which God works to get the gospel throughout the world. Why then did Philip have these extraordinary experiences? We'll find the answer to that question shortly. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Evidently, the eunuch was reading aloud, perhaps for the sake of his own comprehension or for the benefit of his attendants in the traveling party. But when Philip heard him, he said, Do you understand what you're reading? Many commentators have pointed out how abrasive this seems to modern Westerners. It certainly runs contrary to everything a seminary would teach you in an evangelism class, but McGarvey points out that it was a very wise and thoughtful way for Philip to discern the man's spiritual condition. If he were an unbeliever, the passage in Isaiah would be unintelligible to him. But if he were a Christian, he would be unable to miss the connection to Jesus. Thus the scripture affirms that the Old Testament is a mystery without Jesus to illuminate it. I remember some years ago, I thought that it might be valuable to read the Old Testament as though I had never read the New, as though I might find a purer meaning in the words that way, the the meaning they had before Christ came. This seems to be a popular way of thinking today. It's not uncommon for Christian Bible commentaries to invite unbelieving Jews to cover books of the Old Testament in some ecumenical effort. But in reality, there is nothing to be gained from reading the Old Testament apart from faith in Jesus Christ except confusion and misapprehension. Jesus is the key to the whole Bible. Apart from him, it means nothing. Verse 31 continues, And he, that is the eunuch, said, How can I unless someone guides me? That is, how can I understand? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So it was confirmed to Philip that the eunuch was not a disciple. However, we should point out here that the eunuch's plea for help was not on the basis of certain modern ideas about the obscurity of truth. The eunuch was not a postmodernist who believed that he had his truth and Philip had his own truth. Otherwise, he would have responded, of course I understand what I read means whatever I need it to mean to me. That was not the way he looked at it. Nor was he suggesting that a man needed some divine illumination or the aid of an infallible interpreter to get the truth out of the scripture. So far, Philip has done nothing to identify himself as a prophet. He's worked no miracles, so the eunuch is simply asking for a Bible study from someone whose questions suggest that he had information the eunuch might be lacking to understand the text. Generally speaking, religious error among sincere people, arises from a deficient understanding of what the Bible says as a whole. A single passage of Scripture viewed in isolation from the rest of God's revelation will not communicate all truth, and it may easily be twisted into a proof text for error. That's why we have to keep on studying, keep on reading, keep on listening to others who have read before us and alongside us. Verse 32 The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
Many commentators have pointed out that this man would have found a special affinity for the book of Isaiah because it offers a prophetic promise of hope to people in his condition. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 8, the prophet announced God's purpose to bless all those who seek him and his justification, even those who were distanced from him under the dispensation of the law of Moses, people like eunuchs and Gentiles. Listen to how the book reads. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 8. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters." I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord and serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds my covenant fast, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So to this man, who has just been to Jerusalem and stood in the court of the Gentiles, where he saw the inscription warning him to go no farther, no stranger, that is, no Gentile, is to enter within the balustrade round the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. But in these scriptures, he finds an invitation to fellowship with God and hope of a future. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and to the eunuchs I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. But if he later read those words and took great comfort in them, which is very reasonable to assume, when Philip found him, this was not the place he was reading. The place in the scripture which he read was what we would call Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah, part of the so-called servant songs or servant poems, has long been considered by Christians one of the most evangelical or gospel-centered passages in the entire Old Testament. It's certainly one of the clearest Old Testament references to the Messiah suffering and dying for the sins of his people, which was the thing most criticized as unmessianic about Jesus. If it was providential for the eunuch and Philip to meet, and it certainly was, because in this case, the operations of God in bringing them together are clearly revealed, then how much more so that they happened to meet as the eunuch read one of the most Christ-rich statements in the scroll he was holding. Verse 34, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Or of some other man. Think again about what the prophet had said. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Whoever this was, consider what the prophet says about him. Number one, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, that is, he was killed. And perhaps the reference is specifically to a sacrificial death, conjuring up images of the Passover lamb. Number two, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That is, he was willing to die. He was passive and non-resistant. He laid down his own life. Number three, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. The Hebrew reads with a slight variation. He was taken from prison and from judgment But the meaning is the same. Whoever this was, he was treated as a criminal and deprived of any real justice, though he was innocent. Number four, his life is taken from the earth. The Hebrew says he was cut off from the land of the living. Both renderings clearly picture a violent death. The most challenging expression is the question, who will declare his generation? It may be taken either tragically to speak of a man who was killed before he could have children, or it may be understood with a more startling sense that in spite of being killed in such a cruel and humiliating fashion, this person became the progenitor of a great people. Now, it might seem strange to us that the eunuch would ask if the prophet was speaking of himself, because in our literature we're accustomed to people speaking of themselves in the first person with I, rather than the third person with he. However, in the old world, that was a fairly common method of demonstrating humility when describing one's own experience. In fact, the eunuch was neither the first nor the last man to ask questions about the identity of the speaker or speakers in Isaiah 53. It's often very confusing as you read through the text. It's difficult to tell whether the servant or the prophet or the people are speaking in their dialogue with one another. But Philip knew the answer. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 Jesus laid down his life freely and without protest for us. John 10, 18, Matthew 26, 62-63, and 27, 13, and 14. Jesus was without fault, but he was treated like a sinner and deprived of justice, Luke 23, 14-23. Jesus was violently and brutally murdered when they crucified him, John 20, 17-18. But in his death, Jesus became the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8 and verse 29, and brought many sons to glory, Hebrews 2 and verse 10, and who can declare his generations? Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe to keep up with our weekly releases as we continue through the scriptures together. Verse by Verse is brought to you by the 11th Street Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can contact us at TulsaChurchOfChrist at gmail.com or visit TulsaChurchOfChrist.com. When we walk with the Lord, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word.
Trust and obey. 